1: and unbecoming whining from the Cowboys' locker room about the officiating to officially start this edition of Cardinals Underground, Paul Calvisi, Felipe Corral Jr., and business casual Darren Urban. Did you miss the memo over there, Felipe? You look like you're straight out of the locker room with a pullover and the quarter zip, uh, like Aaron Rodgers and the Manning brothers and the Manning cast. And here's uh, Darren over here. like He's ready for a power lunch that we both missed. Look, That's some, what I think just Some happened.
0: of us are fashion plates, and some of <laughs> us are Paul Calvisi. No, no I
1: just want to say well, real quick, Paul, Here we go. It's on now. Now we're officially underway, all I, brought to you by Pacific Office <laughs> Automation.
0: On your first line about the Cowboys, I, I enjoyed this tremendously because I made the mistake of retweeting a Cowboys uh, writer when Mike McCarthy came out Monday and again complained about the mm. fumble.
1: He doubled down. Okay.
0: And I managed to... Then, so I'm in the Cowboys mentions and now my own mentions, which has a bunch of Cardinal fans. So now you got all these fan bases going back and forth about how much the refs screwed each team on Sunday. And uh, somebody I've uh, ended up on my timeline, which I didn't even know this existed, but apparently uh, they can measure out the impact. Of penalties on win probability. Okay? Oh boy! Okay. No, no, no. This this actually works right. out well. All right, here we go. Every game is measured, okay? Okay. The 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 impact of penalties. The biggest impact of penalties uh, on a win this weekend was actually the Bengals over the Chiefs. The penalties actually. Uh, Gained a 60% win probability because of their penalties. Okay. But it goes over all the games, and there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 games that affected the win probability more than the Cardinals' win over the Cowboys. So penalties affected 11 games more drastically than Cowboys Cardinals. I just thought I'd bring that up for anybody who's a Cowboys fan who's listening. And I'm sure there's none of that.
2: So
1: maybe just maybe linebacker Leighton Vander needs to listen to Darren Urban because after the game it was Vander Esch who said, and I quote, among other things, "To me, we're playing more against the refs than we are other teams." Maybe that's part of your problem. Maybe that's why you only have three wins against teams who currently have winning records in the NFL. Dallas Cowboys. If you're going to complain and whine like that,
2: that's what we call being petty, Paul. <laughs> that's that's there we go. We already taught you no cap clout and now well, I'm gonna teach you petty that's called pettiness I mean look, if you look at the stats go, go ahead I was just saying if you look at the stats I mean in the second half that rush offense was nowhere to be found for the Cowboys so I mean how can you complain about the I, refs I, but you have your own problems you know
0: I guess I, ultimately I understand the part of if you want to talk about the fumble itself and the kind of the funkiness of it I, Van Der Esch, I don't necessarily disagree with the concept of if somebody's upstairs looking at something, why does it have to come down to a challenge if you're getting it right? That's a whole different subject. And if he just wanted to leave it at that, but I heard all of his comments. He started with, it was totally a fumble. Okay, that was his initial
1: comment, and then he went on a rant. Which
0: you could argue a little bit, but I understand where he's coming with that.
1: Yeah, and then he said at the end, I don't know if it's incompetence or what it is. It doesn't make sense to me, and it feels like it's not too hard to fix that. Uh, that's got fine written all over it. Just yeah. the use of the incompetence <laughs> but, word, but doesn't the, it? The
0: number of people talking, the number of times that the guys were saying, "This is not the first time it's happened to us." And you know, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I don't want to add fuel to the fire. Because let's face it, guys. And I know, well, Paul, you're not obviously on Twitter during a game. You're actually doing a real job while the game is going on. Where I am that, actually on Twitter. That's
1: debatable, but I'll take it. Thank a- you. And, uh, especially in light of the insult off the top. But
0: but I feel like saying. Cowboys fans, you should have seen the Cardinals fans on your initial touchdown drive uh, right before halftime when the couple of pass interference were called, especially on Jordan Hicks. They felt a lot. They were responding a lot like you were. And, and you know, you can do this all day. I'm getting now uh, with everything I was getting with the Cowboys fans, I'm getting screenshots of Josh Jones supposedly holding Demarcus Lawrence while Kyler Murray was trying to get out of that end zone on that one play where he almost got sacked for a safety and you're screenshotting it, and it's like, okay, now let's – Let's let's move did, on.
1: Did anyone see what the Browns were trying to do against T.J. Watt last night? I mean, T.J. Watt still had three sacks, and they were damn near tackling him every other snap. That, that's how blatant some of the holding was, in, in, in the in the blocking, and then some against T.J. Watt. So, but to your point, Felipe, maybe Dallas needs to look at the fact that, I mean, if you want to talk about running backs and, and Zeke Elliott, I mean, talk about a non-factor. Was he still hung over from the holiday weekend? What was going on there? Because if you're, everyone's asking. You know, you know, and, and we'll get into this. But if you're telling me it's darn near a foregone conclusion that the Cardinals are going back to play, back to Dallas to play the Cowboys, I'll take that. Absolutely. If Zeke Elliott's going to look like that, well, if the O line is going to be that much of a liability for Dallas, which is supposed to be one of their strengths over the years, if you're telling me they're only going to get one sack of Kyler Murray with that shuffled offensive line. And if you're telling me that the receivers are going to get downfield against that secondary, and Trayvon Diggs is going to be caught a step slow repeatedly against AJ Green, and then the Cowboys are going to be distracted by the officiating, you know what? I'll take that as my playoff opener.
0: I don't watch a ton of the Cowboys over the year. I mean, I've seen them on national TV games, obviously, and stuff. But I'll I'll say, um, I was a little stunned. There was a the blocking wasn't always there for the running. I get that, and they were behind, but. Man, Zeke Elliott does not look anything like, and and maybe he's nope. banged up. I d- I don't know this, but I I look at the and not that Tony Pollard looked all that much better, but the, enough that I've seen Tony Pollard enough that if that much feel very much feels like twenty nineteen, uh, Kenyon Drake versus twenty nineteen David Johnson, when I'm watching the two of them, where the the <laughs> speed the, that's the, a good the, comparison speed just isn't there.
1: Yep, yep. I and and if and if Dak is going to be a step slow behind Vance Joseph. When Dak admitted after the game that they did a good job of disguising and changing things up, and it looked like, you know, Kellen Moore dialed up some great plays in the red zone. No doubt about that. I mean, they – that offense was some of those uh, plays that netted them res- three receiving touchdowns. I mean, they befuddled the Cardinals in the red zone and got guys open in the back of the end zone a couple of times. Otherwise, Vance Joseph had his way, I thought, against Dallas's offense.
2: I mean, if you look at the the receiving yards from guys like CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper, I mean, they were also, I would say, not nowhere to be found. I mean, I believe both guys had less than fifty yards receiving. Amari Cooper had like three catches, if I'm not mistaken. But going into that game, you were talking about that tree on offense, right? Zeke Elliott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and for that defense to put on such a stellar performance, at least in the first three quarters, you know, in the fourth in the fourth quarter giving up a pair of touchdowns, that's just speaks volumes to what Vance Joseph did. Because now you start putting things into perspective. All right, they were without Marco Wilson. They were without Robert Alford. You saw a lot of Kevin Peterson in there for the first time all season at a consistent level. And obviously without Marcus Golden and Devin Carnard, and then limiting that run game, it, it was just i think it was a spectacular performance by someone like vance joseph before i start getting into any specific players because now you're looking at all the offensive stats from from the cowboys if i'm not mistaken they came into that game being ranked third in in rushing offense uh and rushing efficiency so even if we're talking about okay well this isn't the zeke Elliott of old he's still been pretty effective throughout the season but a lot goes to your point of, of their schedule, and I believe I mentioned it last week on this podcast. I mean, you look at the last four games, I think it was the Saints, Washington twice, and then the Giants all in, in December. So it, it, it was
1: Mike Glennon, Taysom Hill, and Taylor Heineke twice. Exactly. That's who they beat. So, hello, Kyler Murray. It's a bit tougher of a challenge going mm. against Kyler Murray than those three quarterbacks. That we just named, and you're right. They came in with the number one scoring offense in the NFL. They came in with the number one total offense, total yards. I think there were six overall in rushing. Rushing efficiency. I don't know. Maybe they were number three. I I didn't see the efficiency numbers, but yeah, that was a top notch, high scoring offense coming in, and they didn't look. The- and it was funny because they didn't look the same. And what we talk about going in at least pencil necks like yours, truly. Oh, geez, maybe the Cardinals need a new identity on offense, minus DeAndre Hopkins. Well, guess uh, you know maybe the best news for me coming out of that, other than the win and getting a booster shot. Wait for it, of confidence with the win going into the postseason. Hello, that that line didn't really get traction. I tra- There were two lines I, I used that didn't get any traction. Okay, the other was the other one was uh, there was more Cowboys bloodshed out there than an episode of Yellowstone.
0: See, I don't watch the Yellowstone.
1: Okay, well then you then you wouldn't get it. No wonder, because awesome, Wolf maybe. doesn't watch anything either. Uh, you know that. So uh, that that just I got nothing. Bullets. I'm proud to mention you know, that
2: I do know what you're talking about. Okay. Well, well, I, I know what you're
1: talking about. <laughs> I just don't watch. <laughs> so 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 as I quickly move on right now, <laughs> awkward moment, awkward pause, uh, going into that game. I did pose the question, and I think I was on the side of wondering, uh, wait a minute, maybe you need to put the Cardinals' offense up on blocks, rebuild the engine, uh, maybe change things out a little bit, maybe put a twin turbo on or something, get a little more horsepower out of this thing. You needed a different scheme perhaps. Mm-hmm. But are you guys rest assured that at least as far as the – because you, you heard Christian Kirk earlier today as we record this saying it was different for Cliff Minus. Yeah. DeAndre Hopkins. He did need to figure out personnel groups, how to utilize guys. But now with an Antoine Wesley, at least being the threat of an outside yes. guy that you have to respect, in no way is he DeAndre Hopkins, no. but at least he gives you he gives a defense something to think about now after two touchdown catches.
0: I, I agree with that. And and it's funny because I, I think with the way they're using Wesley, it does not it doesn't feel like they have to do a lot of things differently. I mean, to me, it's not so much that you can't do the same things you did. You just might have to figure out how much you want to do those things. Because I do think Wesley gives you that same type of guy, at least down the field. And we already know A.J. Green is doing it. And, and wow, i got to give props to Pro Football Focus. Uh, They did an article last week about Trevon Diggs, who has got 11 interceptions, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about how he was like the 34th ranked cornerback in oh. their in their grades oh. this season. <laughs> Overrated. Oh. And and they were making the point that he gives up a lot of big plays and he's and he really can get nailed early. And what did the Mm. the Cardinals do? They Mm -hmm. went after him early with a double move from A.J. Green, and they beat him deep down the field. And if that throw is just a little bit longer, I think Green catches it in stride and scores a touchdown, which would have been good because they didn't get a touchdown on that drive. But, I mean, I I just feel like –
1: And there was an Antoine Wesley early in the game back shoulder deep shot that he did not come down with. Which he should have. He Mm -hmm. should have.
0: And and what was the best part was after the game I asked Wesley about that, and Wesley kind of was like, oh, we need to get to the same page. Then I asked Kyler about it, and Kyler kind of chuckled, and he's like – yeah, I got on him. He should have caught that.
1: He did get on him. And that was one of – I I need two hands. How many guys Kyler got all over on that sideline over the course of that game? And that was some of the other best news to come out of that game to me because it was Kyler from week one against Tennessee. It was Kyler with zero tolerance for mental mistakes – or a guy failing in his assignment, or coming up short and making a play that realistically was within his skill set. So whether it was Antoine Wesley, whether it was another uh, big-name receiver on the team that might have missed a hand signal that he got yelled at about, whether it was Josh Jones, and I reported this on the sideline, and I didn't hear what was said, but... Kyler made his point repeatedly after the false start, and there was another flag against Josh Jones, and Kyler held him accountable. And so, uh, to me, when I've seen that on the sideline, not only is it, I think, effective for any player when you hear it from your quarterback, but number two, it sends a message. that Guys, uh, get locked in or else. Or else, you might feel the wrath of your quarterback.
2: Paul, I I did think of you once again. I watched the latest episode of Hard Knocks with the Colts when they played the... The Cardinals at State Farm Stadium. But there was a specific clip that I'm pretty sure everybody saw, right? Kyler Murray was was trying to hype up uh, his – I'm not sure if it was his offensive line after that safety. Um, So it made me think of you because I did want to ask you, do you – is that – just him, is that his leadership style, would you say, from your experience of seeing, you know, Kyler Murray interact on the sideline, with whether it's with his receiving group or with the offensive line or the coaches? Is, is it something you see, is that the type of leadership that Kyler Murray portrays?
1: His leadership is a little different than, most definitely different than a Carson Palmer, different than a Kurt Warner, although Kurt Warner would get pretty dang animated. Yeah, he did. He would come to the sideline... Yeah, and half the time, he'd be yelling at Todd Haley. They'd be screaming at each other. And then 10 seconds later, they're sitting next to each other, having a Gatorade, looking at the tablet or you know the overhead shots. But he would get all over receivers who weren't in the right place at the right time. I vividly remember a Steve Breston got an earful his rookie year all the time during the games. He was always being held accountable by Kurt Warner. But guess what? By year two or three, he was a 1,000-yard receiver, wow. Steve Breston. So-
0: I mean, Kurt Warner would get after Larry Fitzgerald. Yes. And Larry Fitzgerald, right. by the time Kurt came around, was established, and he – I mean, he didn't scream at him, but he wasn't like, hey, come on, you got to – he was, you know, are are you trying to be great or not kind of feel to it. Very Todd Haley-esque.
1: And and you know what Christian Kirk three weeks ago said, did he not, guys, that without DeAndre Hopkins, it's it's incumbent upon the receivers on the team to be in the right place at the right time, that everybody has to be on their game as a receiver because – the margin for error is that much more slim minus your all pro number one receiver. So, you know, to your question, Felipe, yeah, it's a little different. You know, I think Adrian Wilson talks about this with Dave Pash this week on the Pash podcast, just about Kyler and his leadership style. So it was a good observation. And, um, you know, sometimes it might look like he's all to himself, but he's collecting his thoughts and then he'll work his way down the sideline after the cameras are off him. The cameras are, tend to follow him to off the field to the sideline the bench and then they kind of leave him alone right but then he'll get up during a tv timeout or after a long drive by the opposing team and he will go up and down the sideline and you see some of it in the youtube feature you go to mm-hmm. youtube.com slash az cardinals in the wired feature this week because kyler was wired up in dallas and the initial offering that's put up there and i think they're going to put up even more you see him going up and down the sideline and he'll have a particular message at different parts of the game
0: uh, it's uh, that that uh, as long as you brought it up, that's one of my pet peeves. Quite frankly, is um, this idea that, and let's face it, it's fans. I mean, I know there's other reporters too, but mostly fans that are watching at home. You know, if you're in the stadium and you're watching them all the time, I'll give you a little bit of a pass. Although you can't hear what he's saying, you can't, can't. tell. But but I, if I'm
1: right next to the bench and you yeah, can't hear what they're saying,
0: if you're watch just watching on TV, I don't. Please don't talk to me about how, why Kyler isn't showing more leadership or not looking at the at the uh, the surfaces or you know at the, don't or talking to coaches. You don't know. You're you're at the mercy of ten seconds of whatever director puts the camera on him. How would you know what's going on down there? You don't.
1: If you're saying he's not looking at the tablets, you're not watching closely enough because. Cam Turner is over there. Colt McCoy is over there. They constantly have that tablet right in his face showing him different stuff in between possessions. So I am not. I don't get that at all.
2: Two of the most important clips that I saw from Kyler Murray being wired uh, were against, if I'm not mistaken, the Texans and also this past week. So he goes up to the entire offensive line. He's saying, what's up, or let's go, let's get it, let's get it to all the alignment, but then he stops with Josh Jones, right? And, and he's having a, a little, like, 10, 15 seconds conversation with, with Josh Jones, just making sure, like, you good, bro, let's get it, it's time to be great. You know, specifically Josh Jones, because I'm assuming everybody's has been watching these games, right? Josh Jones hasn't been having his greatest games. You know, He he's had some mix-ups with false starts and whatnot. So just Kyler Murray going up to him and making sure that, he feels that Kyler Murray has confidence in him, I feel, would mean the world to someone like Josh Jones. But also, I don't know if you remember against the Texans when he was a little bit frustrated after one of his turnovers. And he went to go sit down by Cole McCoy and yeah. Cole basically tells him, like, hey, man, that's this turnover is not going to matter Like at the end of the game. So I feel like that's something that a lot of fans don't see because... During a televised game, the camera's not following Kyler Murray the entire game on the sideline, So you can't necessarily come across those conversations. So I feel like that's where the mix-up comes when fans start complaining about leadership and and all those things. That moment you cite where he went up to Josh Jones,
1: where he stopped at Josh Jones on the sideline as he was working the sideline. He said, are we straight? Are we good? Mm -hmm. I think that was later in the game. After Kyler had already aired him out a couple of times.
0: Well, they after one, the false start, after the, another penalty. One of the clips after the penalty, I'm pretty sure he was talking to Josh Jones when he's like, "Lock in, yes, lock in, lock in," and and uh, that's not an unfair thing to say. I mean, I asked Cliff Kingsbury this week about Josh Jones, and you know, a lot of times Cliff is very, I'm not going to say apologetic, but he's he he he, he kind of like soft pedals some issues sometimes or whatever and i asked him about and he basically said no these penalties can't happen uh you know josh jones knows that those penalties can't happen and we gotta you know we gotta get that cleared out and once you get to that point with a coach like cliff kingsbury mm-hmm. and i think you paul you'll agree you've been around enough coaches if a coach is willing to kind of like soft do it publicly most of the time not privately but publicly and then the the coach starts coming out and doesn't quite soft pedal it as much anymore and is you you know they really must have it up to them if they're willing to like start sliding yeah. publicly a little bit about yeah it.
1: yeah two things one they're fed up and and two um they're sending they're reinforcing the message to the locker room yep cuz now they're willing to cite it publicly which takes it to the next level in terms of accountability so i would agree with that so the cardinals get a win maybe just as important they end the noise right they end the skid they end the noise that was around the team which look they can all take it they're thick skin they're professionals but it does prove to be a distraction when you've lost x number in a row and people are asking about it so you end all that mm-hmm. and now they can go forward what do you guys expect from the seattle game how vital is it how, how do you approach felipe this seattle game and and where how do you think the Cardinals locker room and coaching staff should, especially when it comes to, oh, I don't know, a couple of running backs who you're going to need direly, right, in, in in the postseason. So what do you do if you're Kingsbury?
2: Man, just do I have to put on his joggers and, you know, <laughs> dress myself like Kingsbury? I mean, I kind of have the beard, though. I have a couple inches of facial hair over over Kingsbury, right? I don't know. But, it was
0: pretty thick the other day. Yeah, but
2: yeah, I mean, it's – I I will disagree with you, Paul. I don't think the noise has gone away. I feel like there's still a lot of noise around the team heading into Week 18 because now the expectation level, you know, rose. You beat the Cowboys without specific key guys on the road when the Cowboys came in hot. Now you go back home. You're potentially a four-game losing streak. Everybody now. There potentially might be an NFC West title on the line. You don't wanna go into the postseason struggling or whatnot. So I still think there's noise, but at the end of the day, I mean I I would assume that the the players don't necessarily want to lose five games in a row at home. I would assume that the players want to put themselves in a position to host at least one playoff game, you know. As great as they've been on the road, I would still prefer to play a playoff game at home. So if I was Kingsbury, Ray if James Conner and Chase Edmonds can even go at 60 70% you're still going to make them go at six well not make them but you would prefer them to go at 60 70% just cuz the type of duel that, that both of those running backs are when they're on the field at the same time
0: I I am going to disagree with you from the standpoint of the running backs for mm-hmm. sure um, I mean if you're running back if if they're at 60 or 70% there's no way I play them because I absolutely have to have them better and if they're at 60 or 7%, I'm guessing that they're not going to improve greatly if you put them through a football game uh, at this point. So um, I'm not playing them if they're that banged up, if they're less – and I don't know. Well, I don't know where they are right now. I know Chase Edmonds – I heard, uh, I heard uh, one of the local radio guys say that Chase Edmonds was super tough. Absolutely agree with that. Mm. Uh, gutted it out on Sunday. Absolutely agreed with that. Then said didn't even take himself out that's not true because I watched him take himself out Yep, right at the very end of yeah, the game. Yeah, that's false. And it's and that's not – Inaccurate. And that's not uh, a, blow, a, a mm-hmm. dig at Chase. And it's not even a dig at anybody who didn't think he took himself out because he did go – I'm not saying he didn't go back in the game. But I literally watched him tap his helmet and touch his rib area and say, I got to come out for a minute uh, right right at the very end of the possession before like their last one when Eno started playing. And – So I I know he's got to be hurting. I don't know where James Conner is, but I want those guys to be totally ready for the playoffs. Um, But in bigger picture, for what you were talking about, Paul, for me, um, I think the noise is dissipated. I think it matters how this game goes. Not necessarily that they win, because I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot to it if they win or lose because uh, I do think the Rams are going to ultimately beat the 49ers.
1: But, Even though the Niners are in with a win? Uh, Even though the Niners have beaten the Rams five straight times?
0: I, I'm not saying it can't happen. I, I think this is a better chance of happening than the Panthers beating the Bucks. Let's put it that way. <sighs> sure, yes. Uh, and I'm not saying you don't play to win. I think Cliff Kingsbury will absolutely play to win. I think Kyler Murray plays quarterback Sunday, mm. where if, if you're really talking about resting, he's not playing the whole game. I think he plays the whole game. Uh, assuming it's close right or assuming assuming the other game stays close i mean if the rams get up 28 nothing then maybe that i ch- i know nobody's looking and nobody's looking please yeah they're looking please they're looking so um but i also think this i, I think back to uh was it 2015 24 what what year was it when seattle was still playing really well it was probably 2014. I don't remember though. But they came in and they won like 36 to six in the season finale. It was like Sunday night football, but like the Cardinals didn't have anything to play for. And...
1: Yeah, I vaguely remember that. It was
0: a massive blowout, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know if you want to like.
1: See, and the fact I don't remember that that well, I honestly, answers the question for me, because I sort of posed the question to start this week and a member of the coaching staff looked at me and answered my question with a question. Yeah. Do you remember who won the NFC South last year? Got it. Okay. It was the Saints. Mm-hmm. But the Buccaneers were the wild card right. and ran the table. Three road wins and then a win in the Super Bowl. So you can't do anything that jeopardizes your chances of a playoff win.
0: Well, that tells me a lot then. Obviously, so if if they-
1: with that being the case, you know, to a certain degree, especially when it comes to injuries, you got to treat it like a preseason game. You just have to because ultimately it's not going to matter enough if it's going to cost you an advantage or one of your key players for the playoffs.
0: So game. then then that, then let me ask you this question, Paul. If that's true isn't Colt McCoy your quarterback? <sighs>
1: See, I, I, but I tend to agree with you. I don't think they're going to go full money. They're not going to go full preseason game. It's not going to go. <laughs> That's
0: an image I didn't need to hear. It, it's
1: still going to be January. It's not going to be August. They're not going to start putting in the backup quarterback uh, unless things get lopsided. Either way, either game. But uh, as far as a James Conner, your Pro Bowl running no. back, uh, Chase Edmonds, one of your key playmakers, uh, no, I don't I don't expect either guy to play. Now, didn't James Conner have a pretty extensive pregame routine and he, he looked some right for those who witnessed it in Dallas was out on the I, field? I did
0: not see that. Uh, so I wasn't looking.
1: So if he would have played against the Cowboys, I wouldn't have been shocked based on that. So how close is he? But what's the risk-reward of putting him out there against Seattle? When, you know, once again, the great blessing of this holiday season just gone by is looking at the Seahawks firmly entrenched in last place. Nothing is going to change the Seahawks' (laughs) fate. They're in last place for the first time in 25 years. The last time was 1996 when they were still in the AFC West. That's the last time. And for Pete Carroll, it's going to be his fewest wins as a Seahawks head coach. So think about that. And Seattle's fate is already sealed. Now, they're not going to have Bobby Wagner. He's not playing. And how is Seattle gonna approach it after they just had their home finale? Maybe the finale for Russell Wilson. Maybe the finale for Pete Carroll. Probably not. Bobby Wagner is twenty million dollar cap charge next year. He's probably he gone. Uh, is you think ri- so? The speculation in Seattle All is right. fierce that Bobby Wagner is gone. Even though he came into that Lions game with a hundred seventy tackles. Think about that through fifteen <laughs> games. He, he was. Tracking, he's in year ten, right? He, he, or something like and that. then he, he he got hurt on the first play of the yeah. Lions game. He was tracking maybe for a two hundred tackle season, which would have been the most in another quarter century.
2: If you were to bet your your let's say bread, that's what we call it. If you bet your bread on whether it would be Russell or Pete's last game. Who would you bet your bread on? Russell's last game. You think so? over Pete? Yeah.
1: Wow. I think so. I think I just think ownership will will stick with the GM coach combination. And, and 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 Russell Wilson, these there's already a lot of speculation that Russell Wilson's team Russ has already dropped those hints to Shefty, who's already tweeted yeah. out a few things, right? That, that that's already in motion. If you told me Russell Wilson to, oh, I don't know New York City and the Giants, I'd believe that.
2: I personally just don't think that that roster is that bad when, when you look at it from from well, specifically from an offensive standpoint, I mean, Rashad Penny has been balling out the past, what, three, four games. You still have a a pretty decent duo at at, uh, receiver. I mean, Chris Carson's going to come back at some point next year following that neck injury. So in my head, I would bet my money on Pete because I still think, well, they don't have draft capital one because they traded most of it away. So, I mean, do you really have... Maybe that plays into the the decision to trade Russ, right? Because now you might want to get that draft capital back. Sure. Well, maybe both of them go, Pete and Russ, start all over. It could be.
1: I mean, they could. It's sort of an unknown because of the ownership situation. So there's been a void of leadership to a degree after the passing of Paul Allen. So what exactly are they going to do? We we don't know. But it figures to be an end of an era one way or the other for the Seahawks. They come in and – yeah, and what is their future? Their top ten pick belongs to the Jets as part of the Jamal Adams trade. Does that
2: make you even more happy, aside from the fact that they're in last place, that they don't have a first-round pick this year?
1: <laughs> that they could have staying power in last place? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm willing to answer that. I'm willing to go on the record with, with yes, that, that, that is a blessing as well, if that's uh, something that happens uh, continually in the near future. There's no doubt about it. But as far as the Cardinals go, I mean, are we just presuming they're going back to Dallas? Everything I seem to read indicates it's that a, uh, everyone's just sort of – it's preordained that they're going back to Dallas and that's just going to be the, an inevitability.
0: Well, th- that's just because of, because of what has to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have to beat the Seahawks and the Rams have to lose for that to change. And percentage-wise, especially since the 49ers are playing at Los Angeles – the Rams are going to be favorites against a rookie quarterback. So when you start adding and figuring out those percentages, however realistic a 49ers win might be, then yeah, the percentages are high. Plus, all, all and if that and and that's the only way the Cardinals don't play on the road. And I think Dallas Dallas is like ninety six percent as the four hole. So if the Cardinals don't become the division champion they're locked into the five hole, so they have to go to Dallas. So, like, that's yep. why that's why everybody's assuming it's foregone because unless they win the division, they're going to go to Dallas.
1: All right. So are the Cardinals better off on the road in a playoff game
0: than at home? A fantastic question.
2: I know you guys are going to say, yeah. I just have a feeling you guys are going to say, yeah. I mean, if you, if you guys disagree. And you're, and you're uh, of course,
0: going to go the other side. Can, really can, cite, can we of cite course.
1: an 8-1 record on the road? I know
2: it's a franchise record.
1: And wins against Tennessee and the Rams in their own building and the Cowboys and who am I forgetting? There was a big – and then wins at the Browns with, a, you know, out their head coach and, I mean, there's a number of okay. Seahawks.
0: I got, I got a question for Felipe then. So here's my question. Would you rather play – Dallas on the road, or the 49ers at home?
2: With Trey Lance? I'm assuming. That's I don't the assumption. Know.
0: That, I mean, I don't know. I mean. May, pro, maybe Trey Lance, but maybe Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know. Does that make a difference By to the you? way,
1: Trey Lance was a goal line tackle away from almost beating you in your own building in yeah. his very first start.
0: That's also true.
2: And, well, the Cardinals are without DeAndre Hopkins, of course, yeah. something that was different from that week five matchup at home. I mean, I would still prefer to play any type of playoff game at home regardless of the situation just cuz you're at home. I know they've struggled at home during this regular season, but See, I
0: I believe it or not, Felipe, I agree with you. I I'm I here, the difference is is for me, going to what Paul was saying, they've played so well on the road. I do not think it is completely unrealistic to see them winning a bunch of road games in the playoffs. I'm not saying it's going to happen but i don't see it i don't see it as an impossibility that said i would rather play road game, home games i've seen this building in home playoff games and it is unbelievable paul knows sure. how that goes yeah, it's I an mean, adva-
1: it is a true home field advantage
0: 2009 they won arguably one of the best playoff games ever 51-45 over the packers in overtime okay that year they went 4 and 4 at home they were like, eh, on the, they actually did a little bit better on the road. It's good knowledge. But they went 6-2 they went and two on the road. They went 4-4 four and four home. But that, I believe it was the home crowd that pushed them to that big lead because I don't know if that team was that much better than the Packers that year, to be honest. But
1: Can I say this? If you were going to play, if you had a chance to play Dallas at home or on the road, absolutely I'd take them at home. Yes. Mm-hmm. But if I had a chance to play Dallas on the road versus the Niners or Rams at home, I would still go with Dallas because I I do believe the Cardinals coaching staff is a step ahead of Dallas' staff. Whereas you can't say that about Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Last time I saw the Rams on that Monday night game, Sean McVay in that offense was a step ahead of the Cardinals' defense. There were guys running wide open everywhere. They dialed up that Mm -hmm. scheme. Kyle Shanahan, we know what he does and he's very effective at running that offense that has given the Cardinals a lot of problems over a lot of games. So I will take a rematch, Vance Joseph and Cliff Kingsbury, against Mike McCarthy and company anytime.
2: So you're saying you have more confidence in that defense limiting the trio of offense that the, the Cowboys have. You expect you would you would have more confidence in the defense limiting Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and the duo of Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott over being at home. Recency bias. I just honestly – I just I, don't know because they barely won, what, in the last possession? I mean, if anything goes different in that last well, offensive but see,
0: But see, if we're going to start playing that game, though, Felipe, I'm going to argue – James Conner will be back for the playoffs, and they get two more touchdowns instead of field goals against the Cowboys in the first place so that they're not that close at the end because the Cardinals have already built a much bigger lead because in short yardage, James Conner would have gotten you touchdowns instead of them falling, uh, falling down inside the five. In fact,
1: you know what? New question. If you could solve one thing improve <laughs> one thing between now and the playoffs, what would it be? I'll go first, red zone. What Darren just cited. Cardinals red zone over the last month, has fallen off yes. significantly. To me, they got to resolve the red zone woes. That was not a problem the first two-thirds to three-quarters of this season. What else should be on the checklist? But, but,
0: but again, for that, to me, the biggest reason that that has fallen apart is because James Conner's been banged up and then not played. Yeah, but they've also been
1: you know first and goal at the six, and he doesn't have his number called, and they're going well, laterally. Okay, again – He's, okay. he's you know he's james been avail- still in the middle of it he, he's been available yeah. for games and hasn't really been utilized yeah, in the red zone
2: I, I get it i get it uh, well i mean james connor and no deandre hopkins i'm assuming has a lot to do with that too i mean my my checklist in an ideal world that would give deandre hopkins my knee maybe that that will yeah. fix it well i'm, not, guess I'm what? not sure how much more effective he's my knee could be. <laughs> he,
1: he was on the sideline on crutches
0: He's not coming back. It's not happening. Oh, are we talking about this? No, no. I was okay, just saying, in right. an
2: ideal world, I mean, I would, no. I would give. Uh, I
0: tell people, like, dude, he's uh, somebody asked me that on Sunday. Is there is there any chance Hop comes back at any point in the playoffs? And I'm like, dude, he was on crutches in week, week seventeen. <laughs> he's not playing again this season.
2: What about what about uh, Watt?
0: I don't. I personally don't think J.J. Watt comes back, but I'm not betting against that guy. Now it might be a uh, a Rod. Was it Rod Woodson who did it? Came back for the Super Bowl one year?
1: Yeah, something like that, yes. Uh,
0: you know, maybe if you get all the way to the Super Bowl and maybe he's able to give you some limited time. But, uh, again, it's one thing to it's one thing to work out. It's one thing to condition. It's one thing to do a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. a banging uh, drills against the goalpost. It's another thing to go out with a 320-pound guy coming the other way, full speed, trying to bang the crap out of you, and you're using – all this mechanism that you ripped the shreds trying to get him out of the way. And also, oh, by the way, try and tackle a 220-pound guy running full speed the other way. I just yeah. – I, I And wasn't that, that his
1: quote, the one media interview he did do? He said, I basically tore my shoulder in half or yeah. I destroyed my shoulder. Didn't didn't yeah. he basically
0: – And that was the report. His description
1: of it was a devastating so again, shoulder I, going injury. Going
0: back to – going back, I would just say to me, uh, realistically – You want the red zone stuff to be better. I'd like to see James Conner, and then just deal. You know, have the other team deal with James freaking Conner. I I would say I would like I I would like Kyler Murray's legs to be involved like they were at the end of the game. Mm. I loved the play call that was the one yard touchdown pass Mm. to uh, Antoine Wesley. Yeah, Dallas smelled it out, but they had an answer for it, and I just think, especially with Hop out. I think they've got to be willing to do that. And maybe they will be in the playoffs. Maybe that's one of those things that unveil a little bit more in the playoffs Mm -hmm. when it matters. And then the third thing is whether it's guys getting healthier or changing some stuff up. And I know Vance Joseph has to do some of the stuff with mirrors, but I'm a little concerned right now with the coverage. I know he's been doing a lot of zone stuff to protect, and they're they're kind of keeping stuff in front of them. But it just feels like it's been – if the if the, pre- the pressure isn't there, it just seems too easy to get completions down the field right now. I mean,
1: if you're looking to somebody to jump the playoff train, uh, how about Bashad Breland? If you're talking about a guy to come out of nowhere and just show up when the postseason starts, what about the corner they got from the Vikings after he had the fallout there and got cut? But he's a guy who's played the majority of the season. He's not off the street. And by the way, on his weekly TV show, Wolf asked – cliff kingsbury after we're done sort of talking about it's cliff's
0: weekly show though not wolf's right uh, oh yeah did it (laughs) just double check so
1: wolf asked cliff okay and by the (laughs) way by the wolf got a good answer when i asked cliff a question i got i got i got i got insulted uh why is that pa we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later but wolf's question once again was uh if anyone else had stood out that we had failed to mention and he immediately said kevin peterson he immediately said Kevin Peterson, who was on the practice squad and basically getting his real first game action. And, you know, yeah, he was serviceable. But to Darren's point, I mean, you went into that game against Dallas – minus two of your top three corners against arguably the most talented receiver room in the league. That was before Michael Gallup, you know, ended his season with the ACL injury. But if you have a shot Breeland back, if Marco Wilson is tracking to come back, which seems to be a complete unknown, no, nobody's really sure about that. I wouldn't necessarily count on that either. But Antonio Hamilton and Kevin Peterson, at least have been good enough to, they haven't, I'll tell you what, in that Dallas game, there were far fewer plays of receivers running wide open. I oh. thought almost every catch was at least contested.
0: Yes. Yeah, this is this is a talent issue more than a mistake yeah. issue. Even the touchdown, uh, I think it was the late touchdown that where the guy came all the way. I mean, coming all across the end zone. You're not going to be able to cover a guy like that. You have to find a way to pressure Prescott and get him off his spot because if. If you don't, the guy, anybody, almost anybody is going to be able to just run across the length of the end zone and eventually get open because you just can't, yeah. you can't cover a guy he,
1: like even that. Even the Gallup touchdown where he hurt himself. Yeah. That, I mean, those, that was good coverage. It was good coverage. And a lot of times after a score, Vance Joseph's pretty emotional, right? And he's, he's pretty upset. And at that moment, once he realized it counted and they weren't going to overturn it, he walked down to Kevin Peterson and gave him a hug. Yeah. He actually put his arm around him and said, Dude, that's about all you can do.
0: And the and guy that's, still made that's what the play. I thought. I thought it was a great play, great catch, and Gallup gave up his ACL for that. So there's that.
1: Yeah. So we'll see exactly. I mean, that you're right. If you're put making your list and you're checking it twice, red zone. And I agree with you on Kyler. Anything that gets Kyler out into space, and if it's all about stressing the defense, oh boy, Kyler's in space. Is he going to make a run with his four three to the pylon, or is he going to, you know, is he going to throw it, and, and you know, maybe a late release tight end? who just sort of, you know, finds an opening in the zone. I mean, those are all very well designed, and I'm, I'm all about that, getting Kyler into an area where he can use his arm or his legs.
2: W- would you guys add pass rush to that list that we're talking, that imaginary list that we're talking about heading bit. into the postseason? A little bit, uh, yeah. Because, I mean, if if you're going to go back to Dallas, I'm assuming the film is fresh, so you're going to have something to go off of that's a little bit more effective than, let's say, if you played the Cowboys in week four, right? Yeah. I just feel like I didn't see enough pressure from the defensive line. You know, you saw pressure from guys like Isaiah Simmons on that on that fumble. Chandler Jones was a menace, but they've been I, dialing up Buddha exactly out of necessity. Yeah. They've
1: been blitzing well, Buddha. Okay,
0: you're also missing Marcus Golden, who you know he's one of the guys that is supposed to be doing that. I I get where you're coming from. I I think I think you're always going to wish for more pass mm-hmm. rush, but I also know that you know. That the Cowboys had um, 15 points with five minutes to go in that game, mm-hmm. so it's I, I feel like they did a fairly good job. I didn't, I, I did feel like there was a bunch of completions, but considering the fact that the Cardinals only forced the one turnover, um, it's not like they were getting ripped up and then they got turnovers and that was stalling drives. So. I think we need to be a little bit careful and it's funny we were just talking about what a great job Vance Joseph did mm-hmm. and now we get to the what we hope well, to see in the playoffs yeah. and it's all these defensive things.
1: And look, did they make Dallas one dimensional? They did. Dallas had its lowest rushing output of the year, 45 yards rushing. So we should probably, probably we buried the lead, yeah. right? You came out, you did what you wanted to do. You made them one dimensional. Um
0: Cardinals gave up like 2.6 yards a carry, which was easily their best number of the year.
1: Right. So so there you now there was a stat going into the game where the Cardinals' defense had allowed 21 touchdowns to receivers, most in the NFL, and you can add three more to that. Yeah, That's 24. So to your point, Darren, earlier, you wonder what Vance Joseph is thinking about that and what he has in mind going into the postseason now that – uh, Bashad Breland's on board. Perhaps, you know, you do have Marco Wilson back. I don't know. Robert Alford, another mystery. I'm not counting on Alford coming back. I don't know what you guys think. So um,
0: you're going to have to make do with what you have. It's funny that you say the – the. I mean, when you talk about, you know, that's something that they got – to you know, the the touchdowns of receivers. When I – again, this comes down to what is this offense going to do can they control the clock? They controlled the clock this weekend, guys. They they not only had long drives, but and th- there was a couple of brief times they went to tempo, but most of the time when they were clicking, Kyler slowly walked up the line of scrimmage, and they took their time, and they ran that clock, especially in the second half. They had the ball for like almost 12 minutes of the third quarter and just mm. took the air out of that stadium, mm. and that's what you want to talk about what this defense needs that's what this defense needs they need this offense to pick up first downs score some points would be nicer to have more than 25 goes back to the red zone they move the ball but they got to get it in the end zone but to eat up that clock so the other teams don't have a chance and and it'll be interesting to see you know if they win it let's say they go to Dallas and they win that's a trip to green bay in round 2 against oh. the rested packers team I get Paul Calvisi, lips oh. are already blue. Oh,
1: My hashtag didn't work, no Lambo. It's because you went away from it. I, I hadn't heard head. that hashtag in the
2: yeah, past
0: four I don't, don't want to get a, ahead of anything. They've yeah. actually got to win a playoff game yeah. before that's even a possibility. But – that's that's staring you in the face. I
2: think the Cowboys had the ball for like 25 minutes and a couple of seconds. Yeah. That, If I'm not mistaken, yeah, Paul, that's, that's, that's the right. lowest output, uh, the lowest time in the entire season. What I also like was Kingsbury went for the points. He went for the kicks. If I, I believe that Prater had a – You know, a couple of short field goals that usually, I mean, Kingsbury goes for it on those specific fourth downs. So just got I I saw a little bit of traditional football that's not necessarily familiar with the Kingsbury offense. So that's something else that I like. He did go for two
0: a little earlier than I I would have. And it would have been nice to have that four-point lead at the end, especially if if they had called Edmonds fumble a fumble.
1: But you're right. He went four for four, Matt Prater, and he nailed every one of those. You talk about a booster shot of confidence – the return of Andy Lee, my uh, MVP, did just that for for <laughs> Matt Prater. No, we're gonna save you from that take, fully Why? Right?
2: Come on! Uh, uh, I, I, as I, soon as he made, he drilled that 50, what, 53-yard field goal before the half. I immediately thought of my co-hosts on this on this po- on this podcast. I thought of Darren Irvin and Paul Kavicius. There, there we go. The Andy Lee effect, my MVP. Yeah, we
1: we need a camera on Darren well, right you, now. With a head Andy shake, he was shaking that, that. punt. Uh, so, Marcus yeah. Golden is back. Yes. Devon Kennard is back. Correct. DJ Humphreys. Back. Who else am I missing? Anybody Breon Borders. Breon Borders. Well, there you go. There's another ad- possible addition to the secondary. cornerback, although okay. he hasn't
0: been active for a game yet. But to have Humphreys back, and I thought Kelvin Beecham did a hell of a job mm. at left oh. tackle.
1: Oh. And, and You know, real quick, you know the best moment of the post-game video uh, that, they, that they've that sent out from the locker room and the game oh, balls? I
0: think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> so I think I know
1: where you're going with this. Everyone's fired up to get a game ball, and then they announce <laughs> Calvin Beecham. He's on one knee. He's got his head half down. He's, He's like, yeah, great. He you hasn't know, taken
0: one – thing off except his yeah, helmet
1: he's just like yeah I, I great guys i'm just too exhausted right now to even acknowledge the fact i got a game ball uh could somebody point me to the shower i mean he was just gassed at that point
0: yeah that's exactly i thought that's where you're going with it i mean i thought Beecham did a great job i thought after the two early penalties especially the false start which cannot happen i thought josh jones was okay he wasn't great once again he's a tackle
1: he's not a guard yeah.
2: he's a tackle yeah
0: i would agree i would agree with that
2: and he, he played right tackle right tackle yeah
0: and that's the thing is it's a that's what paul's saying you gotta you gotta get them you gotta get them in the right place so it's it's gonna be but i, I thought the offensive line uh did did a nice job but i, I mean I, again you had guys that game was so much like the colt mccoy wins mm-hmm. in which yep. you didn't have key players right. but you played this team football that that made it work and in this day, in this season, where I don't care, I, I, as great as Aaron Rodgers has been, I, I think it is absolutely wide open who can win the Super Bowl. Mm, really, yeah, I, I truly, truly believe that. Now, am I going to be shocked if it's Chiefs-Packers in the Super Bowl? No, I won't be. But I, I truly will not be shocked if the Packers lose a home game. I won't.
1: Well. I'm not Aaron, saying it's likely. On the Manning cast, Aaron Rodgers cited the year after they won the Super Bowl, they went 15-1. and one. I remember that. They had the bye. Yeah. In the second round of the playoffs. The Tom giant-
0: Coughlin lost his cheeks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And, and they got beat down. It was like 37-20 or something. I mean, they it was a lopsided win by the New York Giants en route to the Super Bowl that year. And Aaron Rodgers said that was – he still thinks that's their best team during his career.
0: I agree with that. And I couldn't believe that team lost the playoff game.
1: And, and so – and then once again, of course, it, it ignites all the questions. Oh, geez, you pulled everyone in the final game, you didn't play them, and then you had a week off, and everyone's, you know, the whole deal. And so – and it's true, that's what happens, and that's the that's what will happen if the Cardinals treat this Seattle game in week 18
0: – Carolina Panthers 2008.
1: Like a glorified preseason game, and then they come out and lose in round one to the playoffs, it's going to blow back to the final week of the
0: regular season. Yeah, but it's, again, hindsight's always – If you do, I mean, just look at the folktales thing that we did a couple weeks ago, guys. I mean, if the Cardinals had gotten their doors blown off in New England in 2008 and then beat Seattle in that last game and then lost to the Falcons in the first round, everybody would have said, what a pretender team. They were the worst playoff team ever. And and it's going to depend on the results. I mean, if this team, win or lose against Seattle, goes in the playoffs and wins a couple games, well, hell. This was a pretty damn good team that may or may not win the Super Bowl but got beat by a really good team deep in the playoffs. If they go out and lose in the first round of the playoffs, no matter what they do against Seattle now, everybody's going to see, God, they they completely fell apart.
1: All right, so that's an unknown. Uh, I think there's two knowns right now that we should mention before we wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Known. The Cardinals are... A winning team with Rodney Hudson. They're now nine and two with their starting center. I mean, that is a fact, is it not? And then a- a- he's not he's
0: not MVP over Andy Lee, according no, to Felipe. No, no, but, no, but, no. but yes, yeah. go ahead.
1: Once again, uh, I think Felipe's uh Felipe's vote, his ballot was just it was just taken from him. His 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 vote so he's gonna have to re earn that at a later point in his career. Uh, the other no known count. and some of these run these numbers and I didn't but even Cliff Kingsbury and his TV show this week acknowledge when we've run the ball successfully, we've won games. So I don't know if that correlates to the number of rush attempts. I don't know if that correlates to yards per carry or just number of total rushing yards. Somebody around here, do we have an intern? He needs to get off the rear end, okay. Craig Griolu, okay, Mr. Numbers guy. And we need to go back and see, in each one of the 11 wins, does that directly correlate to the rushing performance versus the losses? I,
0: I, I would really, really like to – that's that's a nuanced answer, and I'm going to summon, summon my inner Kyle Odegaard here because I don't want to get – do I think there are moments and you, you have to use the run and you can't get away with it, get away from it completely? Yes. Do I think you better – Do I think they won in Dallas. They had nice balance. But you want to know what I personally thought the biggest reason they won in Dallas was? I mean, there are many of them. Mm-hmm. My biggest reason – was they had some shots down the field and they made them work. They got a touchdown that way. They got A.J. Green. They, had, they missed on a couple they should have had. This league, you better be able to pass the ball. I mean, there's no better example to me, and I know the Patriots won this game. Don't get me wrong. But that game, the Patriots absolutely dominated Buffalo in Buffalo. Buffalo when they threw, what, five passes or three passes or whatever it is in the game. And they still almost lost mm-hmm. because they didn't throw this game. The game, the NFL game today is not set up to lean that much on the run. It is not. You are going to cost yourselves games if you do that. You have to be able to run. I agree with Paul. I'm sure, okay. Cliff, the numbers are right, but to go back and say we're winning these games when we've run the ball well i'm going to argue you ran the ball well in part because you were winning those games
1: maybe though you threw the ball well because you had the threat of the run earlier we cited that the cowboys only had 45 yards rushing 2.6 yards a carry their lowest both categories all year long how much did that hamper their passing game because the cardinals were able to rush just three and four and then drop seven or eight so can you say, oh, that one of the keys to the Cardinals' win was stopping the Dallas run, and then say, oh, the Cardinals won, and their running game didn't matter when they averaged four yards a carry and ran it 32 times?
0: Yes, but but if we want to start breaking it down, okay, they averaged four yards a carry, 32 times. They had a 24-yard run on the first play, right? Yeah, Craig yeah, Dorch. Craig Dorch. And then the very second play was what, like a 13-yard run by Chase Edmonds?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, something like, uh, let's see here, yeah, 14 yards, Chase Edmonds. So yes.
0: what was their average after those first two runs? I'm not saying the numbers. Pretty crappy.
1: I'm saying the threat of the run. Yeah. The, the, and, and the fact that you are perceived to have a balanced attack.
0: I, I, I'm not disagreeing I'm with saying. you. I do think they need balanced attack. But I also think that the Cowboys have crappy cornerbacks and you were able to convert some passes down the field. Sure. And I don't think that had much – that doesn't, to me, have as much to do with having the threat of the run as much as they have crappy cornerbacks.
2: When I was on radio talking to Rolando Cantu, obviously he's a big offensive line guy, I think – and I told him this – if they want to win, they have to stick to the run. Maybe not have this outstanding rushing attack – And I feel like that was the difference between the Colts and the Cowboys. Yeah, maybe the Cardinals weren't as effective or as efficient on the ground in Week 17, but they stuck to the run in the second game. And on that last offensive drive, you saw a bunch of read options. I I think we saw, what, back-to-back-to-back read options on that final offensive drive that stalled the clock or ran the clock out. That was the biggest difference for me. That's what I wanted to see between – on offense I wanted to see Kingsbury stick to the run utilizing Kyler Murray utilizing Chase Edmonds I believe Chase Ed- Chase Edmonds missed a couple of holes that you know on that left side that Kelvin Beecham opened up but that was the biggest difference for me just sticking to the run because now you go back to a balanced attack now Christian Kirk opens up for a 30 plus yard bomb AJ Green opens up for those bombs you, you obviously Anton Wesley's 19 yard receptions things like that were the difference now that's why i agree with with kingsbury they didn't they might have not been as effective but the fact that they stuck to it i mean that that balances your attack
0: i don't i don't disagree with that i got a couple points to make one um i think they need to stick to the run from the standpoint i think two of their best skill guys left are their two running backs i think having the ball in those guys hands whether it's short passes or runs i don't really care those are the guys i want to be making plays so that's that would be one reason. But, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I just I feel like it's a, it's a chicken or the egg thing, and I, I understand where you're coming from on that. I just feel like if he doesn't – if Kyler Murray doesn't hit on some of those big passes, you're not going to have the ability to stick with the run that much because you're going to end up not getting enough first downs. And the, the problem with long drives – and I think the the Cowboys went through it a couple times, and it's what the defense is predicated on for the Cardinals. You want these teams to go on 12-play drives because it's hard to do a 12-play drive. You don't want to give up the big plays. That's why you're not trying to give up the big plays. There is nothing that is going to ruin a team's game more than giving up a big play, whether it's on the ground or or through the air. And it's just a lot harder to get a big play when you're running the ball a lot. It just is. And I, I just, I think that's, I think ultimately that's part of it, and if you go play the Packers,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you're you're you might be in a couple positions where you know it's going to be tough to just say, well, we're just going to kind of grind it out because I don't think they're going to let you grind it out. Well,
1: and it's easier to grind it out when you have James Conner back. Yes, and so and then and then don't forget Rondale Moore, you presume is tracking to be back for yeah, the I playoffs. Forgot about him
0: and it'll be nice to you have know, him back. Too, you mentioned
1: yeah. Greg Dortch, and uh, <laughs> he looked good. Man, I agree. He, he looked. He had a burst to him, and and I know based on what some of the players have said, uh, he's he's made guys look stupid running practice squad stuff in practice. I mean, you know, he's been out there, and uh, I know a lot of the defensive guys were enjoying watching him make the Cowboys look dumb. Because I love how been he looked that. at training
0: camp, Paul. Yeah. I'll be honest, yeah. I was watching him in training camp, and I, he was one of the most standout players in training.
2: Between camp. him and Anton Wesley, I feel like they were. The most talked-about bubble guys in training camp. Yeah. So it, and it's kind of you know ironic how there were two receivers that actually had a, a pretty decent game.
0: Although, can I say props to Cliff Kingsbury before we got out of here for being so honest about Antoine Wesley? I mean, he basically came out after the when he's talked about Antoine Wesley, and he's basically said uh, he got a tryout here in the first place as a favor to me, and then. We looked at him carefully, because, and I knew what I liked, but he he impressed everybody else. And I do think Antoine Wesley has earned a spot on this team, don't get me wrong, but Cliff has been very honest that he coached this guy in college, loved this guy in college.
1: Absolutely. In fact, here's the quote. I was probably the only one in the building that knew he could, meaning make an impact in the NFL. I'm very familiar with him. I watched him in college. Nobody could cover him. That's what Cliff said about Wesley. And and, and and we joked on his TV show that Wesley does not lack for confidence. I mean, he has a lot of confidence, and he's a popular dude. When he made his touchdown catches, you can just tell the sideline just erupted. Guys screaming out, Tweezy! And the whole sideline emptied out to give him props. And, uh, you know, apparently his first touchdown catch two weeks ago, he tried some dance move that failed badly and he got a hard time about it. i never noticed that but apparently he went to start some sort of dance move after his first that.
0: career touchdown i can't and believe the sideline reporter didn't see that though. and, that's and i well
1: that's because i was filling in for pash
0: oh my goodness in that game i maya yeah. culpa i yeah. just stepped so, in it right there you know, danny Serek you blew it it's right.
1: <laughs> that's right that's right danny takes a shot Just like I took a shot from the head coach, but go ahead. He actually,
2: no, he pulled it off. I'm not sure who told you that, but he actually pulled it off. If you go back and look at the video, he does like this robot thing where he's like moving his chest, but his head stays still, stays still. I'm not sure the locker room agrees with you. But
0: was, I'm just saying. So it was a locker room. It wasn't another old guy like me saying he didn't pull No,
1: it well, it, it could have been a coach who said, did you happen to uh, see that? That was I probably that one of that. the so, um, just There uh, Generational <laughs> problems just here.
0: No, it, it actually looks
2: cool because Jesse uh, uh, Aranda, the, the, one of our videographers on the social media side, he actually gets or One of the LCC guys, they get a full-on view of his dance, and you literally see the head standing still at an angle, but okay. you see his body just, like, rotating around his head. It's actually pretty cool. Pretty uh, yes, yeah, please so, do. No, I want yeah,
1: to We we got to check on that cuz you know we, that'd be a good poll question for com. you know, is this a should for he get props or should he get uh you know chided for this sort of thing. So, uh, by the way, uh, my question to the uh to the head coach was and here we go. My question was um when it comes to parts of your job that you enjoy, Cliff is handing out game balls after a win? Would you say that's one of the more enjoyable parts of your job? And and he paused, and he said, "Oh, absolutely, I would agree He said, "Right up there with doing the show." <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's like when he got asked earlier it, this year. Oh, it was sorry. a
1: complete. It was just a complete deadpan yes. earhole job of yours, yes. truly. Mm-hmm. I,
0: it's. He somebody asked him earlier this year about how much he loved doing press conferences. <laughs> exactly, you remember yes. that one, don't you? Yes.
1: If you gave him the option to never meet the media, oh yeah, oh he'd be so out of there. I mean, he'd. And gone. it's not
0: like he doesn't like us. Well, okay, you sure relative. about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think
1: we want the answer to that. To be honest with you, probably. Not.
2: You know. Uh, <laughs> that gave me a good laugh, good, good one. I like. It. That's a good drum roll. If Craig,
1: if Craig, ah. if Craig is really still listening right now, actually, it might be more about Craig than any of us. Let's just, just, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and
2: like, that'll you like rewarded him today, there. this <laughs> week, though. Uh, you rewarded him this week. right. I, I, I did
1: give him. I did give him department awards, so I think uh, I've earned the right, you know, to uh, for a dig or two. So the Even equity. Even if you didn't, who cares? Cashing in the equity there. Here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.